How do I get FDA approval for a medical device? How do I get funding? How do I sell a medical device? How do I, how do I, how do I? I'm Kayleen Brown, Managing Editor for Device Talks. We are on a mission to unravel the complexities of the medical device product development cycle. In each episode, we take a deep dive into a specific stage of this journey, guided by the expertise of senior medtech leaders who have not only experienced it, but have mastered it. This is MedTech Women Talks. Dr. Goldman, thank you for joining us on MedTech Women Talks. We are here live at Device Talks West, October 18th, 19th, and 2023 in Santa Clara. So I really appreciate spending your time with me and helping our community better understand the medical device product development cycle. Before I start asking you a question after a question after a question, I'm going to start with a pre-question. Do you prefer Dr. Goldfin or Vivian? Please call me Vivian. Okay. Well, Vivian, thank you again for joining us. Uh, so I always like to kind of understand why MedTech, and I say that with a little laugh because it's not in a, a space that most people know about. And uh, I've been in MedTech for 16 years, and I know from my own personal experience that once I got into MedTech, there's nowhere else in the world that I'd rather be. I find it to be the best industry in the world. So how did you find MedTech? What was that door that you opened and walked through? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question um, because most physicians, a lot of them don't end up in, in MedTech. And it was years ago, I was very lucky uh, to be exposed early on to the MedTech system. Uh, an ecosystem. I was at a, a French institute called the ERCOT, a minimal invasive surgery system. And um, there was a CEO from Ireland from a medtech company that came. And we were having this conversation about careers. And, you know, he said to me, well, you know, as a physician, you can potentially treat thousands of patients throughout your lifetime and throughout your career and really make an impact on them. But if you go on medtech, you have the opportunity to potentially impact millions. And that was one of the things that really kind of made me think of, huh, like that's actually really a, an angle I never thought about. Why not? Well, so the idea of being able to reach more kind of tugged on your heartstrings. And so then how did you go from clinician or physician to, okay, now I want to reach millions. What was that step? Yeah, it was, uh, uh, I would have to say, like, it was not overnight. <laughs> it took me a couple of years. Um, but I, I, when I came to, I'm originally from the Netherlands, did my MD degree over there, uh, spent several years for surgical training innovation in France. And then I came to the States close to a decade ago and did a, uh, a fellowship called the Biodesign Program uh, at Stanford University. Yes, oh, we love Stanford's Biodesign. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, after my year at biodesign, uh, I really felt that um, there was so many more possibilities or opportunities for me where I could impact in healthcare, uh, and so I decided to switch. Okay, so now you went from physician to Stanford Biodesign. Who? What was that phone call? Who was the person you reached out to? What email did you send? Like, how? What was the bridge to where you are today? Yeah. Um, it was interesting. It was uh, actually one of the founders of the program, Dr. Paul Yock, and we were having a conversation about, you know, the future of, of my career. Uh, and um, I was 
talking with him through all the different options and thinking about going back into clinical practice and um, or potentially uh, pursuing a pathway uh, focused on the medical device innovation space. Um, and he was very encouraging. And he said, you know, um, that he felt that it was something that I was passionate about and I should pursue my passions. And so I did. Uh, and uh, uh, eventually um, I ended up now in venture capital, which is another story. <laughs> um, but I think what's so beautiful, what I love about venture capital and also about medical device is that um, it really allows you to focus on a lot of different types of disease settings, different patients, different technologies, and eventually at the end of the day uh, to make an impact on them. Well, this is a perfect segue to taking, um, you know, going 40,000 feet in the air here. So I know our audience is going to be particularly interested in this episode because money talks. And you're the money keeper. And without, you know, really funding innovation, you can't move innovation forward as fast as we'd like. And so that being said, can you take us uh, or help us better understand your role in the broader sense of the medical device product development cycle? So... Um, what is it, for those who don't know, and at what stage do you really come in? Yeah, um, no, I think great question uh, because we hear it all the time because we're a corporate venture capital fund. Um, but what's interesting about Intuitive Ventures is that um, although we're under the umbrella of Intuitive Surgical, we're structured as an institutional uh, VC and so as a traditional venture capital fund. Um, the reason why we did that is that uh, because we want to make not just strategic investments, but also um, uh, uh, investments that are a good financial opportunity. And that is in order to really make sure that it actually gets to patients. Is that your sort of guidepost or where you and your team start is, you know, when you're assessing a potential medical device, like how, it, will this actually reach the patient population? Can it help the patient population? Um, is that something that you consider every time you look at a medical device? Absolutely. And so that goes actually back to my body design years is, you know, is there a clinical need here? And that's the first thing that we always look at is not just, is there a cool technology? No, like let's look at where's the need and which patients will impact that at the end of the day. So that's very helpful uh, to kind of understand what like the inspiration behind how you, you, you try to drive the dollars. So kind of going back to the medical device product development, continuing our cycle, I was four episodes ago, I was calling it cycle. Now I'm starting to call it continuum. Now I'm just trying to calling it like everything happens all at once. <laughs> it's all about collaboration and like working all at the same time, trying to figure it out. So I have to shorten that down and make it a little bit more concise. <laughs> so, you know, you have, you have the ideator. So I have this idea for a medical device product. And I think this is perfect for a Stanford biodesign background. There's so much innovation that comes out of that program. So you have an idea, you, you start working kind of with the right teams to develop the concept into a prototype or something that you can hold or show. At what point do you, does your role step in? Is it at the concept stage where it's just pen on paper? Is it something you can hold? Is it after there's some efficacy behind it? Like, where do you step in? Yeah, there, um, there are kind of two ways about the story. And so uh, about my answer, um, first, we find it really important to start building that relationship really early on. And so I would always say, 
it cannot be early enough. Even if you just have that thought, you know, feel free to always reach out if you want to and get some feedback from us of how we look at that that view or what our view is on the world from that point of view. Um, then from an investment point of view, um, it depends a little bit on the type of product or solution that you're working on. What is our sweet spot when to invest? Uh, but the beauty is, is if there's already that relationship, then as soon as you get to that sweet spot for us, it's much easier for us to go swiftly and quickly through diligence uh, in order to effectively, hopefully meet your closing deadlines as well for your fundraising uh, rounds uh, uh, and take it off the mirror. Yeah. A real surprise to me, because I would have thought that you would need to have your, and your being the universal innovator, <laughs> know having not just the concept but like a proof of something in place a beautiful slide deck you know how it can affect me so you're saying that if you have a great idea and you can back it up and you can say why you think that this is going to benefit the patient population and move health forward reach out there might be something there start a relationship wow yeah start having that conversation um, because it's also much easier for us to be a partner earlier on and to help you potentially steer in a, steer in a certain direction versus that, you know, if you're already your clinical trials, there's not a lot of opportunity to go different directions anymore. And so we really try to position ourselves as being a partner uh, and a long-term partner uh, versus just a financial investor. That's the best surprise all week. I have to say for me, because I mean, I think that there is sometimes this, this barrier, this um, hesitation when it does come to funding mm -hmm. and, you know, really trying to have all of your ducks in the row before you even attempt that. So it's really encouraging for me to hear that there, it's not just, you know, I'm signing a check. It's, I am your partner. I'm here to guide. I have experience. Our team has different experience, different perspective, and I'm assuming a diversity of perspective. Mm -hmm. And we can help guide your technology and the way that you move forward to reach your goals quicker or on time might be better <laughs> to yeah. say that and um, ultimately have better health outcomes. So um, how do you provide that strategic guidance? Mm -hmm. that yeah. Place? No, I think it goes back to as, you know, we try to be a partner and that's really how we try to position ourselves. Um, and so also our role is not just as a venture capitalist or as an investor within intuitive ventures and surgical into a surgical, um, but to also be a steward. And so to help you navigate potentially through the company in order to, you're almost like a matchmaker, I would say. I love that. <laughs> and so, you know, based on the needs of the company, we try to see like, well, which groups internally potentially would be of help for you on this? Um, can we maybe facilitate that you guys have a dialogue around this? Um, or if it's not within intuitive surgical, are there people within our network that we can uh, uh, connect you to in order to support you? Sounds like the true embodiment of community. <laughs> it's, I actually, uh, earlier interview, the, the phrase was, it takes a village to build a medical device. Yes, yeah. The country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, add in regulation, entire globe yeah. at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so start early. It's about your relationships. It's being a steward. Um, 
So I was going to ask kind of about the collaboration process. So do you work kind of with the other stakeholders via R&D to product development or the uh, product development manager to clinical affairs, regulatory? Like, do you work with all of them at all of the stages or do you focus on specific groups? Like, can you walk us through that? Yeah. um, So what's interesting about Intuitive Ventures, uh, and it's something important, I think, to also emphasize uh, is that we're fire, uh, we have a firewall between us and the rest of Intuitive Surgical. And that is really to make sure that startups can share uh, their materials and that we can uh, function as an independent investor from that point of view. Uh, and also, obviously, to prevent uh, contamination of IP, et cetera. And so from a legal point of view, it's very important as well. Um, and so when we uh, interact with the companies, we try to understand where their needs are. And then based on that, see if we might want to support them with independent consultants or resources that we can provide, or going back to the what I mentioned before, uh, facilitate conversations with groups internally uh, at Intuitive. Okay, so you had mentioned matchmaking internally with Intuitive Ventures resources. So what if you have this uh, a startup medical device? Kind of bear with me for the, for a second, and they have their own. Uh, like clinical affairs team, and you have a clinical affairs team. Do you have them collaborate together? Does one dominate the other? I mean, how does that work? I mean, does it become the jets and the shark? Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good question. Um, so first of all, like we're there to support the company, right? Uh, and so the, um, uh, the company uh, and the team, uh, or the team will run the company independently and we're there to support them financially and with our resources. Um, and so if they're looking a support around clinical affairs or clinical regulatory services, uh, we'll take a look and see, for example, if we have independent consultants that can help on that end uh, uh, to support them with it. Um, on the same side uh, or the same end, um, for example, if they're trying to build out a clinical advisory board or whatever, uh, we'll look um, in our own network, but also reach out to our intuitive colleagues to say like, hey, are there any of these advisors uh, that you might not uh, know of that could be of support for the portfolio? Okay, good. So it just seems very harmonious. <laughs> we try to. Yes, okay. that's our intent. I mean, that kind of goes back to if you're, it takes a village, it takes a country, like let's all get along so we... Exactly. Stay on time and yeah. go home happy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, so the beginning, uh, you, you had mentioned due diligence. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, so what is your process and your team's process and yeah. due diligence? And you probably get this question all the time. But there's a specific reason I'm asking this question. So I'm not just coming from the perspective of what can I do to try to get in front of you and going from, you know, trying to put my, my, myself in those shoes. But it's really about... How can somebody trying to navigate the cycle prepare to, to best serve the need is really what I'm looking at. So what is your due diligence process so that they can better prepare? Absolutely. Um, so what we ultimately, so just to put things in context, we see hundreds of companies per year, right? It goes back to the relationship building point of view. Um, a lot of them, they're not at the right stage yet necessarily for us to uh, engage from in a financial investment point of view. Uh, but the, the couple that do make it uh, there uh, and where we go in diligence in, it's, a, it's an intense process because we love to go deep. <laughs> we all have a science background and uh, uh, 
And so how, when we go into diligence, um, I always kind of approach it from back of my academic research years. Yeah, I try to uh, create a, a, a plan uh, and try to understand really where the biz biggest risks around this company, anywhere from a science translation into the clinical environment, business, regulatory, et cetera. And then we, as a team, uh, we try to, within four to six weeks, uh, answer those questions. Uh, uh, and then, you know, at some point we look at all those risks and, and we think about the financial return and then it's up to the team to decide, are we comfortable with taking these risks or not? Um, how a company can help us. So going back, um, you know, we go deep because we care. Uh, and so we really want to understand your business really, really well. Um, so what helps us is having a very structured data room. Uh, um, uh, making yourself available for all of the diligence sessions, uh, uh, and then also pairing us to uh, any of your advisors, customers, etc., um, in order that we can quickly line up calls and try to validate certain things that we might or might not have found in our research. It really helps to know that you have the best interests in mind and you care. I've, that maybe would be why I had the impression that there is this barrier and this sort of like hesitant hesitancy. Uh, so would you advise those trying to get in front of you to just really embrace the idea that you're going deep because you care. And if there is getting pushback, it's not because you're trying to find a hole for a gotcha moment. It's that you're trying to really see all sides and make sure that everything has been discussed and there's no surprises in the end. Um, would that be fairly accurate? Absolutely. And then I would love to add to that as well, um, is going back to we're trying to be a partner. And um, and so if there are areas that we feel, you know, might need some support, uh, on that way we can think about it already proactively of like what resources do we have internally that we can help the company mitigate those risks. I love that. Thank you. So we talked about due diligence, talked about risk assessment, what about specific milestones? So within the product development cycle, are there specific markers or milestones that you're looking for to make sure that you are hitting what you need to hit on time and in the right way? It depends a little bit, again, on the, the type of product. Uh, but obviously, you know, the first in humans are always a big milestone for everyone. Yes, uh, right. <laughs> it's always a, a moment of celebration. Uh, and then I would say uh, afterwards is the, the early pilot um, uh, results. And so not just if it's safe, but, you know, do we already see if there's a, an early signal around if efficacy or not? Um, so those are always things that, um, you know, that we are excited to see. And then we try to celebrate with the company as they navigate through those. Well, that's great. I want that. Feedback. So I've talked a lot about the feedback loop and how crucial it is. Mm -hmm. Are you open to feedback? Is that part of your process? And if you are open to feedback, how do you incorporate that? Yeah, no, we always uh, seek for feedback, how we can improve ourselves from, you know, not just from a, uh, from a financial investor point of view, but also being a strategic partner. And so we love getting input as well of like, hey, you know, if there are areas where we can, you feel we can support you even better, please let us know. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about relationships. And especially when you make a financial investment into a company and they enter your portfolio of companies, you know, it's, you're building a family. 
<laughs> and so, uh, and for better or worse, she was stuck with each other for quite some time, uh, for several years at least. So it is family. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so, you know, it needs to be, um, uh, and you know, it takes two. Uh, and so we, we always encourage feedback, uh, um, anywhere from how we can be a better partner, uh, uh, to a better financial investor. How can we support you in the diligence process as well? But I think it's interesting about influence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there's probably an open dialogue internally. Yeah. But it's externally. I mean, I have to imagine that you're influenced in some way. And yeah. So it's so, curious. It's, yeah. Sad. There, uh, you know, there are trends often and trends come and go. Right. Uh, just as hypes. Um, so just because things are hype, that doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to pursue it. We always do our own diligence on what we think is an area that will ultimately impact patients and uh, will be a good market opportunity. And so we definitely keep an eye on different trends uh, or hypes or, you know, what other people say. But we do try to navigate and steer our own pathway. That's a really perfect bridge. We were talking about trends, um, kind of changing landscapes, artificial intelligence and machine learning. So if we were having this conversation a year ago, I probably wouldn't have included this question. But with the democratization of AI, with generative AI, I mean, I think it's really changed everything. And for me, personally, it's really changed the way that I see the industry, the way I do my job. Do you see or have you experienced uh, your responsibilities or your role changing because of AI and ML? And do you see it changing in the future? No, I think that's a, it's a great question. Um, because our, the, the way how we do diligence changes a, a bit, right? And um, so I think we're all, if you would ask our team, you know, we're all convinced that the future of device is a connected device world or ecosystem. And so it's, uh, it's impossible to avoid AI and all, uh, uh, and even to reframe that, I think we should embrace it, right? Um, but... Uh, from that point of view, from an, uh, as we look at it from a, dil a diligence point of view, um, it does uh, focus our diligence also to um, expand other directions or areas that we normally maybe would not have looked into. And so as an example for that, um, you know, if we see a device that has some sort of AI or an ML component about it, it's really important uh, for us to know where the data came from. Uh, and uh, how the data uh, was collected. What is important for us is that it was uh, collected among a broad and diverse population, said. Because ultimately, in the end of the day, um, going back to we want to impact patients and we want to make sure it is not only for a certain group, but accessible to all. I mean, diversity. Exactly. And in inclusion and health equity. I mean, I think AI putting my own opinion here, I think AI can really help support that. And that's what I'm the most encouraged when it comes to AI and, and how we can move forward better in that area, which we could do better. That's just the reality. We can do better. Absolutely. So that's yeah. very encouraging. And, you know, from just going back to, you know, in the, in the past, sometimes we would see very controlled clinical trials, um, you know, and the day that does not... Uh, translate to the real world. And that's the same thing with AI and ML. So really making sure that whatever data set uh, um, the AI was trained on, making sure it's actually representative of the real world. Well said. 
So I wish I could talk to you all day. I can't. So I'm going to round us home here. Uh, so final questions, maybe one question part one, part two here. Um, do you have any resources that you recommend for somebody who's trying to get in front of you? So either how to reach out to Intuitive Ventures or other you know, PCs um, and how to prepare, like any kind of resource that would be helpful. Yeah, I would say, you know, if you see us at a conference or a meeting, come up to us. Say really? hi. Absolutely. You know, I, I want to, one of the things that, um, that I would love to share with startups is that our bar to engage is very low for building, you know, having a quick coffee, having that quick chat, uh, where you share what you're working on on a high level and that we can provide some feedback on it. Um, and so please reach out, uh, early on, um, uh, you know, in person or over, uh, email, um, you know, we like to make ourselves available. Well, I certainly didn't think and mean to plug Device Talks West, but this is a perfect, I think, mirroring what you're talking about, that if you can attend industry events, Device Talks or others, that's probably a really good way to have that quick, hey, saw you at the coffee car. Uh, oh, you're also getting a bottle of water. <laughs> Let me give you a 30 second of what I'm doing and maybe we can during the conversation more. I mean, I, that's really, and again, very, very encouraging. So I have to wrap up the conversation, but kind of last thoughts here, Vivian. So you went from clinician to VC. So you've seen a lot of the product development cycle from multiple perspectives. Is there anything that you can share lessons learned or advice or something you just want our audience to know about the life cycle of medical device product development? You know, maybe not necessarily about the life cycle, but going back to, I think, the point that you just raised before, don't be afraid to reach out to people. And I think it's extremely important. Um, so come to these types of events, uh, connect with people from uh, other startups so you can learn from all the, the hurdles that they had to go through. Um, and connect with the corporates, too, to understand where their mind is at with certain uh, uh, trends or, or areas as well. We've completely changed my perspective on the money, money, money. <laughs> Dr. Vivian Galpin, thank you very much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and enjoy Device Talks West. And again, thank you again for being here. Thank you so much. It was an absolute pleasure. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of MedTech Women Talks. Please share this episode on social media, to your coworkers, to that new hire who's overwhelmed by the nuances of MedTech into that seasoned executive who is looking for a way to educate and inspire. Please like, follow, and subscribe to the Device Talks Podcast Network to never miss an episode. Our next will feature Christina Hawley, Senior Director of Clinical Operations at May Health. The perspective of the clinical gatekeeper. But before I let you go, I'd like to shout a big thank you from our figurative rooftop to our sponsors, Aptix. Catalyze Healthcare, Confluent Medical, and Cretix. It is only with their support that we've been able to create this incredible series. Want to join the best sponsors in MedTech? There's still time. Connect with me on LinkedIn or reach out to our Device Talks Editorial Director, Tom Salemi. Once again, I'm Kayleen Brown of Device Talks, and we'll be back soon with Christina Hawley, Mayhem. Mayhem.